Hola, I'm Adela Yelton, and thank you for joining us at Latina South. Latina South welcomes friendly conversations with Latinas and friends who live, work, and play throughout the South and Southeast. Let's hear about what Latinas are creating and how they're making good things happen for their families, businesses, and communities. We'll enjoy some savory bits of wisdom while we share about what it takes to thrive in life while holding on to the best of what makes us Latinas in the South. Welcome. You know, my Latina identity is like grounded in everything that I do. And, you know, my parents always infuse in me. You got to really know your roots. You got to know where you came from. And that's something that you can't ever forget. Today, we welcome learning and development professional Janine Cabrera Veldi. For Janine, education and family are her passions. With degrees from Emory, Harvard, and Georgia, she hasn't forgotten her roots, which are proudly grounded in her Latina identity. Let's listen as she talks about her time at Harvard, where she was inspired by campus workers to create a tutoring program for their children. Janine also talks about her experience growing up in the diverse and changing community of Stone Mountain, Georgia. Hola, Janine. Hola, Della. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Janine, I know we're just getting to know each other. I want to know more about your Latina identity. My mom, she's actually from Bolivia. So she's from La Paz, Bolivia. And my dad is from El Salvador. So that's kind of like my heritage wise. So I have Central America and South America in my background. My parents, you know, are first generation immigrants to this country. So my mom um, left Bolivia and immigrated to the United States because the economy in Bolivia was was failing, right? There weren't any jobs. It was very difficult over there. So she decided to take a risk and leave her family to come to the United States. Uh, my father, he was escaping a deadly civil war in El Salvador to come to the United States. So he kind of came in kind of as a refugee from all of that here um, to the United States. So um, being a Latina, it's really about, you know, our people are really humble very hardworking, know how to have a really great time and definitely have, we have excellent food, right? And very family oriented, very collectivistic. And particularly in my family, you know, my Latina identity is like grounded in everything that I do. And, you know, my parents always infuse in me, you know, you got to really know your roots. You got to know where you came from. And that's something that you can't ever forget. It sounds like you're very grounded in your roots. You mentioned that you were born in New York. I also know that you grew up in Stone Mountain, Georgia. We know being in the South, Stone Mountain uh, is associated with the Confederacy and uh, the U.S. Civil War. Tell me about your experience in Stone Mountain. How was it for you growing up in that area? There's kind of like two sides to living in Stone Mountain. So I lived in Stone Mountain pretty much for a majority of my life, right? I lived in New York till I was about six, seven years old. And then we came here to Atlanta, specifically Stone Mountain, where I lived the rest of my life moving forward right up until I went to college. So Stone Mountain is where I call home. When we moved there in around 1997, 1998, because we you know, lived in an apartment before finding a home, where I lived, right, is a, it's a very um, African-American community with that also has a big refugee population. So I feel like living in Stone Mountain really helped me ground myself and and be really humble because when you are immersed in 
that much diversity and so many people from with different stories from different cultures, you realize that there's a lot that you don't know, but then there's a lot that's similar between everyone. And so I had a very positive experience living in Stone Mountain, just being exposed to so many different narratives, um, so many different lifestyles. But on the other side of that, when we moved to Stone Mountain, um, in the time that we moved, I don't know if a lot of people know, but during that whole time, it was it was a very white neighborhood. Like Stone Mountain was predominantly white. And so when we moved in the 1997, 1998, there were more and more African-Americans that were moving into that community and more people of color moving into that community. I always talk about this story when we first moved and when we talked to the lady who was selling the house that we that I grew up in, she actually mentioned she was like a, an older white woman. Um, and she said that the reason why she was moving out was because there were a lot more African-Americans and people of color moving in and that the value of the house was going to go down. And, wow. um, and what so year was that? <laughs> that was in like 1997, 1998. She mentioned that, you know, that's the reason why she was moving out. And, you know, then, you know, I didn't really know what that was called. But when you really think about that, that's white flight, you know, and so right. more and more white people left that neighborhood. When we first moved in, there were a lot of stores, a lot of shops, grocery stores, restaurants. And as more and more white people leave, what you see is all of those things leave as well, right? The shops, the grocery stores, the restaurants. And so it kind of left my neighborhood like a little deserted. Growing up, like it become it became really deserted to a certain extent where even to like watch a movie, you know, you'd have to like travel 20 minutes, 25 minutes to get somewhere else. Stone Mountain is a beautiful neighborhood that is very diverse, you know, um, and so I feel like that shaped me too, like just interacting with so many different people from different backgrounds. Right. But then the other side of that is that my neighborhood really struggled with this, with the white flight from our neighborhood. So you experienced several sides of Stone Mountain, and you talked about actually growing up with the diversity in your community, which a lot of people don't know about, but there is diversity there. And you mentioned just finding similarities with folks. What what are some of those similarities? A lot of the population too, right? They were refugees or immigrants from other countries and had these different unique stories. But what you kind of see still that brings us together is like the idea of like family and being grounded in that. And everything that we do is for the family, you know, whether it's like, you know, trying your best to put food on the table and working really hard. I think that's something that I learned from my community to see the hustle between Latinos, the hustle between refugees in the community, between African-Americans, just the, the hustle and the grind to make things work. And just really understanding that we're so similar in that way that we all really just, you know, have this want to be loved and to be accepted and to be understood. In my neighborhood, I think other people would say, like, you know, when they think of Stone Mountain, they're like, oh, is that a dangerous place? I get that a lot. Right. But honestly, in Stone Mountain, I felt very safe. Like, I think people were always willing to help. People were always willing to just be in solidarity with you. And you mentioned that what we have in common or that what you found in common with, with others is the idea of family, that hustle and grind uh, to, to keep going and also helping one another. And I know you spent some time there, but but not all the time. You Let's back up a little bit. Janine, I know when I first spoke with you, I uh, admitted to you that I was a, a bit intimidated uh, to talk with you <laughs> because uh, if you look at your educational background, you, you, you went to Emory, Harvard, and UGA. And so, you know, th that's a bit intimidating, but you said something that put me at ease. You said about Harvard, you said Harvard needs us more than we need Harvard 
to be successful. What did you mean by that? Every time I talk about education, when I think about education in general, I always want people to understand that education is really a tool to kind of get you to the next place. And it really isn't your identity. And I think that sometimes people um, start to define themselves by the degrees and the pedigree that comes along with that. But really, it's just a tool. And I think the more that people like ground themselves in that is the more that they'll really start to be able to make decisions that work best for them. And so I, when I say that, like, you know, Harvard doesn't, you, you don't need Harvard, right? Harvard needs you. It's just that they need people that bring in different life stories that bring in different expertise that you can find that aren't always directly related to like how much, you know, a lot of times it's just the life experiences that you bring, you know, the way I view it is just like, it's a tool and, and it should, and, you know, let's try not to make it your identity because then like when certain opportunities, you don't get them or, or you don't get that promotion. I think it affects you because it's so integral to who you are, but really it's separate from you because you bring so much yourself and your life stories and what you've experienced, like, you know, with your family and the values and the beliefs that are inculcated in you when you're even making the decision of, you know, should I pursue like these degrees or higher education, you really need to ask yourself, you know, is this degree worth it? And when I say that it's, you know, the money that you're going to pay, whatever it is, it's, um, will it help you do things that are meaningful for you? Um, and a lot of times I think we do things because that we think that that's what's going to show that we've made it, you know, in society. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of a long answer, but that's kind of what I, when I said that, that's kind of what I mean that I, you know, I was this full person before going to Harvard and, and Harvard needed me, right? Like I always, I think the more we say that, the more we don't feel like we're an imposter in that type of environment that we deserve right. to be there because we brought so much to the table. And I'm proud to say it, you know, like when I talk about the hustle and grind, like my father works in a middle school in the cafeteria serving food and making food for students. Right. That's who I am. And I think if you start to get defined by, oh, I went to Harvard and I went to Emory and, and, and these are the things that define me. That's not me. Right. Like right. where I'm from is what defines me, that my father like out there cleaning dishes and making food, like the determination, the grit, the resilience there. That's more me. That's more who I am. And my mom, who's an educator over 25 years, like those are the things that define me. Everyone brings their own stories, their own expertise. And sometimes we just need to be able to listen to people. And then we're able to like learn so much. You know, I feel like I've learned more in my experiences and from other people than I even learned in my degree programs because, you know, that really shaped who I've become. To hear you say that is so refreshing. And it's almost like extending your hand out to others uh, that might feel intimidated. And I appreciate you saying that to me. It is refreshing to hear you so grounded in who you are and and your in your family and your upbringing. But you did some things while you were at Harvard. Yeah. At Harvard, you know, when I first went there, naturally sometimes like you feel intimidated in those spaces because when I went up there, I saw not a lot of people that looked like me, right? A majority of the people at Harvard are it's predominantly white and that's just a fact. So when I when I went there, I kind of felt a little out of place. When I looked around, the people that looked like me actually were the people who were serving food, the people who were repairing things in our dorm, the people who were fixing like like light bulbs in a building. Um, they looked like me, you know, and they really made me feel like I had like my mom and dad in spirit there with me. 
And so that kind of brought me a lot of comfort in that space. It made me feel like I had someone to talk to and someone that would understand where I came from. It was in those conversations that, you know, what I was doing at Harvard kind of changed, you know, because originally, you know, I was doing education policy and management, which is what I got my master's in. But in that moment, when I was trying to be present with these relationships that I was building with people who worked in in elements like the trades, I just felt like I connected. And when we in conversation with them, one thing that kept coming up as a theme was just that we work in such a privileged space, you know, like Harvard is such a privileged space, but they kind of still felt like they were outsiders to all of the benefits, the privileges and the opportunities that came along with that. And the one thing that they mentioned, it's like, it wasn't even about wanting those opportunities for them. It was about wanting those opportunities for their kids and their children. And they were like, if only my kids could come and and experience this Harvard campus in some way. There's so many smart students here that if they could like even tutor our kids, that would be an excellent opportunity. You know, they mentioned it like a joke. It'd be great if someone could teach my kid while I'm on this shift. And I said, well, why can't we do that? Why wouldn't we be able to create a program and start this idea here at Harvard? I said, let's do it. And so, you know, what I really worked on with the team was how can we build community with people who work in campus services and Harvard students in a way that they're learning from one another? Because the people who worked in campus services, they bring a lot of expertise. They bring a lot of wisdom that Harvard students needed to learn from. And Harvard students bring certain expertise that they could help the children of campus service workers and employees. Uh, When you talk about creating programs and connecting uh, communities that don't necessarily work together, what you did is you highlighted to both groups here's what you benefit and here's what you benefit. And then there's a mutual benefit there that you can move forward with. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why it's like a lot about how do we break bread with one another? Um, How do we create those spaces too, where we can bring those families together with Harvard students, where they can engage, have a good time, eat a good meal together. Like we did that as well. And I think there was a huge benefit in that. We started off as a small program and then it got a lot of notoriety on campus. You know, the Harvard Divinity School, there was a social spark award for it. But then I also like worked alongside the team to think about like, hey, you know, there's it was called like a VIP program or a venture incubation program at the Harvard Business School where you, know, you could pitch your idea for your your business. And we got selected for that, too, even though a lot of them other groups, right, a lot of other teams, companies were, you know, focused on a product and, and making a lot of money. Like ours was really sure. about like social justice and really thinking about community. And that shaped has shaped my career to like where I'm at today and what I'm doing today, because I really, really enjoyed working in spaces that can sometimes be privileged, but certain people feel like outsiders in those spaces. And how can we just connect them with the the resources and the opportunities that they're seeking? I sense uh, a, a true entrepreneurial spirit. You described arriving at Harvard and connecting with the people that are actually doing the work, cleaning your room, uh, preparing the food. And, and you heard from them. In a lot of situations, people might say, oh, yeah, I wish we could do that. Oh, well, it is what it is. Let's move on. But you didn't say that. <laughs> you took those ideas and you took something from 
idea to reality. And that's huge. What drives you to do that? Because that that is a spark. Where, where does that come from? I kept seeing like my mother and father in those employees and those staff members. Like, and when I, it brought me back to remember, where did I come from? How, how are we so, how are we similar? How are we different? But it's also that like Latino grind, it's a hustle and grind that we got to do it. Like, it's not enough to just say, this is a nice idea. It's really about the commitment. Just like when I think about my parents' stories, they came here with nothing, no money, right? No understanding of the English language. I always think back, like if they can do that, right. And they can like grind to give me and my brother the best life. You know, I have what I need and what I need, like the resources I need. I just need the willpower to do it. So I kind of think that that's where it comes from. My father, you know, I would want someone if they saw my father needing help or wanting to have a certain opportunity, like in his, in his workspace, that someone would, would also jump up and say, Oh, let me help you with that. Like, Oh, let's do that. Or how can we make that happen? Like, I would want someone to do that for my father. I'd want someone to do that for my mother. You had it within you. And I know a lot of other people have it within them. One thing that I always want to bring up is like the importance of like taking risks, you know, whether it's creating, you know, being like, I can make that idea happen. Like you can do that. And the importance of taking risks when you don't always know the outcome. But for me at Harvard, like um, I kind of had this feeling that like the work wasn't done, you know, it's like, you know, I did this program, it went well, but but what now? Yeah, for a lot of people, it would stop there because that is something huge and impactful that you did. But for you, it inspired you to think about what's next or what else. Yeah. 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 And so that's why for me, Adela, like I was like, I want to stay at Harvard Campus Services like that's the group that I really want to work with. Typically they in higher ed, they they are the biggest workforce. And I think sometimes people don't don't know that. This work hasn't been done yet. Like I was like, I think that we need to really still think through like opportunities for staff, think about like how can we just provide them with education in such a way that it's they can use it as a tool to get where they want to be so they can have better personal and professional lives. I ended up being up there as a fellow and had the really unique privilege of being in the administrative fellowship program, working to really think about how can we create learning opportunities for people who work in the trades and who work in campus services at Harvard. And so, you know, it was so much risk because I, I could have gone back home and try to search for jobs, but I knew I had to stay without money. So just the taking <laughs> risk of where I was sleeping on a couch and my mom's like, why don't you just come home? And I remember telling my mom, I want to follow this through. And I remember yeah. being like, she's like, but you don't even know if you're going to get that position. And that's just your mom being protective of you and wanting you to be be safe and comfortable. You weren't safe and comfortable. You took the risk and you created this, uh, you continue to do the work uh, that was very impactful. And so, and so what came after that? Luckily, I met my, my husband at that time when we thought about like our life together, because we just kind of knew like, you know, for us, it was just like, we kind of knew we wanted to like be together. So my husband and I, when we thought about, you know, we were doing long distance, we we're like, well, where do we want to be? And there was always a part of my heart that was in Georgia, because my family was there. Like, I want to be with my family, like family matters to me. And that's what is meaningful to me. I ended up thinking about my alma mater, which was Emory. I want to go back there and I want to continue the, the same work. I'm lucky that in my role right now, I also work in campus services. I'm able to continue work that I've been doing at Harvard, using the things I learned there, using the things I learned from the tutoring program, 
learning, uh, taking those lessons and applying it to, to Emory, a place that gave me a lot of opportunity. I love the community I work with and it just is so meaningful to me and impactful. And it's, so when I go back to that question, I, you know, and I tell people to, to really wonder like, you know, whatever degree or whatever path you choose, like, are, is it helping you do the things that are meaningful to you? And like, for me, it's like knowing when I wake up every day, I love like just learning so much from the community that I'm working with and that I choose to serve every day. It's a privilege and it's an honor to work for them, with them, alongside them and, and to just continue my career there. Well, your passion is contagious. <laughs> that's for sure. Love and family uh, brought you back home uh, to Atlanta and you found mm-hmm. a place for your work at Emory. But I know you're just getting started. That's what makes me really excited for you. I do want to hear from you a little bit more around your passion around education. Tell me more. Where do you think that came from? Things you hear at home. Like my mom always said, you know, educación is la única manera de sobresalir, you know, and that's the only thing I ever heard, which is education is really the only way to success. And so education is is a great tool. It'll really help you in your life. And so I was passionate from the beginning, from the get-go, from what I would hear at home from my mother as an educator um, and seeing how much influence she had. But then I think it was also like growing up in Stone Mountain, Unfortunately, the the schools there don't have the same resources as other other schools and other counterparts in that are more affluent. I was fortunate that my mom was just always always advocating for me to get into a school that she was just like, you know, will maybe help you have a better chance of getting into a certain college by prepping you with things like SAT prep, just giving you a lot of different opportunities to make you more competitive. There is a disparity in educational opportunity for schools, for example, that are found in Stone Mountain between and, and schools that are in, in the Shambly area, um, which is where, you know, I went to Shambly, um, Shambly High School for um, the magnet program and to see just the difference, because even going to that school, like I realized there was so much that I didn't learn and so much that I didn't know, which all, my peers knew, you know, and it was just right. like, I remember even like being in high school and being like, I don't really know how to do fractions that well. Like, I don't, really right. know this, realizing the disparities, realizing that the curriculum, the access to resources, how that differed. And I was just like, this isn't right. You know, that in different neighborhoods, there are just different resources and that children are in, in different environments and can lead to different outcomes. You know, sometimes I'm like, what would have happened if I had stayed and went to my local high school? I don't know. There is so much inequity when it comes to this. And sometimes it's just a difference in, in a school that makes the life trajectory for a student different. And I think for me, it felt that way because in that high school, because there were so many resources, I could do well on something like the SAT, which, you know, I remember visiting the local high school in my neighborhood where the lights were flickering or people were sharing, students were sharing textbooks. When I got into the magnet program, I was like, oh yeah, look, look, like people don't share, people don't have to share textbooks here. The lights don't flicker here. For me, that's what brought my passion. If I can somehow help level the playing fields in any way, you know, even though there are practices that are institutionalized that are difficult to overcome, then that's what I want to do in, in any way, fashion or form. Well, it sounds like your experience in high school really um, opened your eyes around disparities by experiencing them firsthand, but also now in your current role, using that experience to inform 
your work now. I also have a passion around education, and I uh, personally was involved in the founding of a charter school. I know charter schools don't always get the best rep. And so what are your thoughts around charter schools? I actually think that charter schools, they definitely, and there, there are studies that show this, when, when charter schools are built and charter schools enter certain neighborhoods and educational spaces, what it actually creates is school competition. And so I personally feel like if there's more competition between schools to up the rigor or to provide more programs in their school to compete with a charter school that is also in the neighborhood, like I definitely think that's a good thing because it helps up the standards that we're creating for schools. And I always feel like the more choices that parents have, I think the better. One of the huge benefits of charter schools and you know they can modify their curriculum to best fit the neighborhood or to try like innovative practices so i think right. that i think charter schools can definitely be very positive um, I think sometimes the, the people's view too and, and, and the cons of it is just that sometimes there's less accountability testing and, and how can we like ensure that kids are learning what they, what they should be learning. I think that's a little harder because charter schools can't, you know, create their own curriculum and their own standards for students. Right. Um, so I think sometimes like there's a little bit of those, sometimes those are some of the cons that people discuss. If schools are trying to improve their standards because they're trying to compete and students in- inherently are getting better opportunities because of it, I'm all for it, right? I think schools should be operating like that regardless. You know, I think schools should always be trying to operate at the highest level possible because they want to keep their students. Thank you for sharing your perspective. And I know there are pros and cons, but I will say that, you know, education in general is under-resourced. And I think when you put two entities in competition for the same allocation of resources, everybody needs more resources. The inequity in education is so huge. What can I do, right? What's my little piece? And uh, what would you say to someone around that? I I always say that it's really important to be involved um, in your community. Sometimes people are nervous to say like, you know, if I maybe don't do that in practice and I care about education, how can I do my little piece? For me, it was, I currently am on the governing board for my high school, um, which is Shanley Charter High School and um, have the opportunity to give back in that way. I honestly feel very fortunate that I'm able to, in some way, do my little piece to try to make that one high school better for, for, you know, all students. Like for example, Shambly Charter High School has a huge Latino population. I, by being there and, and trying to help people maybe think differently about like, how do we reach those constituencies and those key stakeholders as well? Maybe that means putting a communication in Spanish. Maybe that means having to interpret. Like if I can, if I can do my little piece so that we can think about equity for all students, even if it's just in one high school, I think it makes a difference. And so, you know, my advice to people is just like, what's your one small thing that you can do? And maybe that's like, community service. Just like for me, this is volunteer. You know, I don't get paid for doing that. It takes me several hours a month to, you know, doing these governing board meetings, maybe translating a document, being a part, like I'm a, I'm on the, you know, for the board, I also am on the community outreach committee to really think about how can we reach the community? And particularly in these times, you know, of COVID-19, like how are families being impacted? Maybe like where our focus should be on is really thinking about families are surviving out here. Maybe we should be raising funds to give families money for food. Sometimes it's the little things that become 
the big things that impact someone. You don't know who you're impacting that could also change the world and revolutionize things just simply because of an interaction with you. I also was a mentor at the Latin American Association, which was a which an organization that did a lot for me growing up. But, you know, I had I got to mentor a student, a, a young Latina, where I had the opportunity to help her navigate the whole college process. How lucky I was that, like, you know, I was able to help her through that process and be able to get her in school because that was her dream and what she wanted to do. And so sometimes it's like your little piece makes a big difference. I appreciate you sharing your experiences with us and uh, talking about leaving Atlanta having your experiences and then coming back home and, and you continue to give back and set the example and uh, being involved in the community through, through your volunteer activities. All of that is, is so inspirational in, in, to me and also inspires others. If you can share with us some words of wisdom that you'd like to, to leave for our listeners. Yeah, you know, I definitely tell like the listeners to really think about how can you question like cultural expectations and conventional wisdom when we we finally like make it, we think that we have to buy like the big house or get the name brand purse and and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Thinking about how can you question these expectations of like what you should be and just become the person that you want to be because that's meaningful for you. I think that's a big, a big thing for me and something that has, has really helped me and kept me grounded in my Latina identity and where I came from. So always asking yourself, is what you're doing meaningful? And if not, why are you doing that? And like really reflecting on that, but also like the importance of taking risks. And sometimes like they end up positive and sometimes things don't end up as positively as you had hoped. But there's an importance in taking risks. So I think that's really important as well. And really just thinking about education and when people are making decisions around that, it's really to think about how can I use education as a tool and not really making that my identity? Because I think that it's important to disassociate that from one another. Because I think when you use education as a tool, you begin using it in such a way where it doesn't have to define who you are or where you have degrees make you feel like you're a different person at some point. And, you know, I just hope with my work and what I do that um, I can be a Latina leader that inspires others. You know, there's not a lot of representation, you know, in, in Georgia, as more and more Latinos come, I haven't been able to see, right, a lot of representation in higher ed and in my particular space that are at the top levels of the university. I hope that I can do my little piece and that I become a, a, this Latina leader that can somehow like make someone else feel like they can do something too. And you are a leader and you are an inspiration. And thank you for, for your words. And I appreciate you being here. I appreciate your work. And I look forward to what you're going to do next. Uh, no pressure. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Adela. Thank you for joining us at Latina South. I'd also like to thank some folks that helped make this show happen behind the scenes, like Jennifer Joyner on social media, Cooper Works with logo and graphic design, and Paul Brown on sound support. And thank you, our listener. The best way to support our show is visit our website, latinasouth.com. 
support us on Patreon. Subscribe, rate, review, share wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Hasta la próxima. See y'all.